Hello, everyone. This is Sportify, and I am back with Connor Hibbett, our college football specialist. Hello, Connor. Hi. Thank you for having me on again. We talked about college football multiple times now because the season is just around the corner, but we're going to talk about the Power Five today. Let's go into, and we did talk about a little bit how Pac-12 and the Big Ten or Big 12 are having negotiations and that seems to change on a dime every single day. But where do you want to start, Connor? We talked a little bit about the conference realignment last time we were on here. There's always going to be, like you just said, there's going to be new rumors almost on a daily basis with conference realignment. And so I don't really have a strong take about that other than I can tell you that it has to do with revenue. Like I said on the last episode, it has to do specifically with money today. It has nothing to do with tradition, geography. It has all to do with TV revenue and TV deals. It's also interesting that you bring that up because you're absolutely right. It's a little different in the pros because look how many teams you and I have seen alone move in our life. And, you know, the Los Angeles Rams, they were not always the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> and Los Angeles Chargers, they used to be the San Diego Chargers. Las Vegas Raiders used to be Oakland Raiders. So it's very interesting to compare college football against the NFL and the moves they make in regards to quote unquote realignment or TV deals or whatever it is, the reason for moving, but it happens way more often than you think. Yeah, it, it does happen a lot. And it happens more in professional sports because that's a, well, it's beginning to be a little bit more even now with, co with college sports. But at first, you know, pro sports were always about business and college sports were about the NCAA, student athletes, uh, of course, back then, no NIL. And then now with NIL, it's becoming more of a business, as you know. So right. that's, it's no, a coincidence that right around the time of NIL, we are seeing all this this realignment. And of course, I, I'll tell you this that I do know, I was hearing about conference realignment to a pretty large degree, even before quarantine, pre-COVID, like 2019, I was hearing about this stuff. And I just think when our lives were put on pause a couple of years ago, I think it gave a lot of those in higher power. You know, the NFL has a leader, the NBA has a leader, college football doesn't have a leader so there was a lot of talk among the higher power what whoever those people are about conference realignment and it had to do with tv revenue and the sec and the big 10 led the other power conferences and group of five of course by a wide margin and go figure we fast forward a few years later our lives are put on pause so it gives those in higher power some time to think as soon as we as soon as quarantine ends you start hearing about NIL, literally a month later, you hear about yeah. NIL. And now there's conference realignment following up. It's no coincidence. It's just everything's happening exponentially faster than what was planned. All right, so let's dive right into the Power Five. Where do you want to start? We'll start, well, I guess we should start maybe with the Pac-12. Pac-12 is going to be interesting this year because even though they still have divisions technically this year, they still have a Pac-12 North and a Pac-12 South they're not going to be playing in terms of that. So what I mean by that is the conference championship in the past has taken, of course, the winner from the South division and the winner from the North division. This year, they are taking the top two conference teams by win percentage at the end of the season, regardless of their, if they're from the same division. 
And so now this means we could potentially, potentially, I haven't really gone into my predictions yet, but that means we could potentially see a, U, uh, a USC and a Utah play not once, but twice against each other this coming season. Once in the regular season, because they're both from the same division in the Pac-12 South, and another time in the conference championship, if, say, an Oregon doesn't come out of the North division. Again, technically still divisions, but for this year, they're just picking the top two conference teams. Uh, I will say this, though. The Pac-12 is very average this year as a, as a whole. You do have some teams that are going to be competing for New Year's Six game with Utah, USC, and I think Oregon with their schedule and playing still North division teams for the time being. So I think those are your top three teams. They have by far the, the, the three most complete rosters in the Pac-12. USC, I would say, is the third most complete roster of those three teams, but they might still find a way to win against at least one of those teams in the regular season, given the... Again, they don't have a complete roster, but they have some really good individuals that can make up for a lack of, let's say, a defense or a lack of an offensive line. And they have Lincoln Riley, who is arguably the best offensive play caller in the country. So that's going to help when you have, say, a really good quarterback like a Caleb Williams or a really good receiver who they got through the transit portal from Pittsburgh, who won the Bolitnikoff last year, and uh, Jordan Addison. So they have arguably the best well one of the three best i'll say receivers in college football one of the 10 best quarterbacks in college football he's still a youngster so he still has something to prove other than just highlight plays that he made last year in bunches oregon again like i said earlier they have the really good schedule so that could set them up pretty well they're not going to beat georgia in the opener i know georgia lost everybody or just about everybody but oregon or oregon's not going to win that game they don't have the skill position to match up with georgia but after that, they got a really good non-conference, another good non-conference opponent in BYU. They get them at home though, so that'll that'll help Oregon. After that, I don't really see Oregon tripping up again until potentially Utah, who they also get at home uh, later in the season, second to last week of the season, and then they close out at Oregon State. If you want a team who could potentially break through this year in the Pac-12, other than UCLA, arguably the easiest schedule in the Power Five this year. I don't see UCLA beating USC, Oregon, or Utah. They do face all three. Get two of them at home. I don't think that'll matter. I don't think they have the, the big boys up front to beat those three. Why do you think UCLA is going to struggle? Well, I think UCLA is still going to break through. I just don't think they're going to do well against those three teams. Okay. So. The reason why I think UCLA will break through but not give any of those three teams a run for their money. So UCLA was more of a complete team last year, had pretty physical offensive defensive lines, but they lost all those guys. And they don't exactly reload. So they're one of those schools that's really, you know, pretty good every few few years or so. And even in those pretty good years, they're not really good. And so they're coming off of a break. Well, not exactly last year was a breakthrough, but they're coming off one of their better seasons in recent years. And they lost a lot of those players that were, were responsible for that increased production. Now they lose most of that production. However, they're given one of the easiest schedules in the country. So that'll help them break through. They get teams like Colorado and Washington early in conference play. They get Washington at home instead of having to play at, uh, in Husky Stadium. And they get the easiest non-conference in the Power Five, no doubt. Um, they they will run away in those three. So they'll start off 5-0 and before they play Utah at home. Right before Utah has to play USC, so that's noteworthy. And they'll again, they'll get them at home. Utah just has the guys up front. UCLA doesn't. And UCLA doesn't have the guys 
to withstand against the better teams. And they're only going to be facing a few of them this year. So UCLA could potentially win about nine games this year. They might trip up in a game, win eight games, but they, they'll start off very well and you'll have a lot of people looking at UCLA. Yeah, they are an intriguing team this year. They got a really good quarterback, really good running back, but the rest of their team, questionable. But that'll <laughs> be enough to, to kind of weigh over the, te- the lesser teams. And again, they're going to be playing a lot of those lesser teams this year. If you want a team that probably nobody will talk about outside of their respective fan base, that's Oregon State. And I don't think they're going to break through and win nine or 10 games by any means. But this is a team that I think during stretches of the season might surprise some people. It's like, wow, they're six and two. Or wow, look at them. They're ranked number 18th in the country. It's like, wow, I didn't think they would do that this year. Like, where do they come from? They have, they're playing a lot of teams with first year coaches, a lot of teams in transition on the field as well, a lot of teams who struggle at the line of scrimmage. And one of the few things that Oregon State does do pretty well is win at the line of scrimmage. They were undefeated at home last year, but they could not win on the road or away from home. So that's noteworthy. Um, But fortunately for them, they don't play a lot of difficult teams on the road this year. So they played the majority of their most difficult games at home. So I think with what they bring back, which is most of their production, and they made a bowl game last year for the first time in a while. So if they can continue that progress, they got continuity in the coaching staff. I think they could be a, a sneaky team. Well, let's quickly do the SEC. It's gonna be it's gonna be Alabama and Georgia in the SEC championship. And really, <laughs> it, it wouldn't shock me like I mentioned on the previous episode of Georgia lost one game in the regular season, just given how much they've lost. It's just that I don't know who to pick. The hardest team they're gonna be playing on the road in a true road environment in the regular season is gonna be Mississippi State. And, you know, that's a little bit of an intriguing matchup with Mississippi State's air raid on their offensive side and with all that Georgia has to replace in the defensive side of the football. And not that Georgia's defense had a weakness last year, but their weaker part of their defense was their secondary. And they didn't really get exposed too often. Not Again, not that they were bad, they, but they certainly were not as good as their front seven. But their front seven was so dominant with the pass rush and against the run, they were hardly ever... Uh, put on their heels in the back end, I should say. Well, they're definitely going to be facing a team that likes to throw the ball in Mississippi State, and it's going to be right after the Tennessee game, which is a game that most people people are pointing to in terms of potentially being the upset for Georgia this year. See, my opinion now is because most people are looking at that, I think Georgia will be as well. So that won't be the game that Georgia falls, and plus they're playing at home in that game, and I don't think Tennessee has the defense. Um, They might be able to score some points more so than they did last year, but uh, they're not going to be able to stop Georgia, especially on the road. But if you're looking for like a potential slip up again, I'm not going to really point to any specific game, but that's potentially one that stands out to me because I don't think it's going to be Oregon in the opener either, given that they're going to have a lot of time to prepare for that game. Georgia will. It's going to be Georgia and Bama in the SEC championship. Bama, I think, has a greater chance of slipping up in the regular season just given how much they, uh, given their road games and the difficulty of their road games this year. So, I mean, they play Ole Miss, LSU, uh, Tennessee. They play all those teams on the road this year. So Arkansas on the road, Texas on the road in the non-conference, five of their six most difficult games are going to be true road environments. So that's noteworthy. And Bama, as, as dominant as they've been, they usually lose a game in the regular season. Sometimes it's a fluke, sometimes it's not. Um, so there could be a potential slip up um, on the road 
they haven't lost a home game since LSU 2019. And that was just because that was that LSU team. So I wouldn't expect Bama to lose at home this year. And they get AM at home. And I can promise you, Alabama's not losing that game this year. Alabama's got AM on on their schedule, like highlighted on their schedule, like they did LSU a couple years ago after LSU beat them. And we know that didn't go well for LSU the following season. That being said, LSU was in much more transition that year than AM is in this year. But AM's not going to beat Bama. Um, so it's Bama and Georgia in the SEC championship, straightforward. Really, it's a matter of if someone, if one of those teams loses in the regular season and loses in the conference championship, do they miss out on the playoff? And then what door does that open for another team? That's really the biggest conversation. I'm just curious because I know how much you love them. What do you think LSU is going to look like? So I think most LSU fans would say nine and three. And if we pull off an upset, potential 10 wins, I don't think it's going to be that good. Probably the most difficult in the country for like a November slate is the, it's going to grade out to be the most difficult. Why? Well, anytime you play Alabama, doesn't matter if it's home or away, that's going to help out or it's going to hurt. And LSU plays Alabama this season at home. Does, again, it doesn't matter where you play them. Then they play Arkansas and AM that month, and they play them both on the road. So that's going to grade out to be more difficult than, say, if you played Alabama at home and Arkansas and AM at home. Now they play Alabama at home and Arkansas and AM on the road. So that's going to grade out to be, I would say, the most difficult November schedule in the country. If not LSU's, it's Ole Miss's schedule in, in November. But LSU, I would chalk those three games up as losses. That being said, LSU does have AM's number. That's something to monitor. But it's not like before then, there's no chance of a loss. I mean, before then, LSU plays Florida State in the opener. They play Mississippi State with that air raid offense early in the season. And Mississippi State brings back everybody from last year. And LSU still has to play Tennessee, who's going to be coming off a bye week. They do get them at home. And they still have to go to Florida and to Auburn. So if you're asking most LSU fans, again, I think they would say 9-3 and three with Brian Kelly as the new coach. My expectation is 8-4. and four. Pull off one or two of those wins early on in the season and try to win one game. Or they'll win one game in November. They play UAB, which is no slouch from the group of five. But they'll win that game, LSU will find a way to win one other probably not bama so find a way to either beat AM or arkansas and manage to win eight games i would say because i think vegas is over under right now for lsu is seven and a half which means it's looking like a seven and five or eight and four kind of season i would say eight and four given lsu's talent and really something that's underrated not too many people are discussing about with lsu is miles brennan who was a quarterback a couple years ago then he got hurt and he was doing very well it's just the LSU's defense was uh pitiful to start 2020 and of course that was the COVID year most teams were a step behind on defense but LSU's defense was multiple steps behind and uh the defense won't be that bad this year the, the question for LSU you know this offseason has been other than all the players they've lost has been who's going to win the quarterback battle I have a hard time believing it's not going to be Miles Brennan given what he's shown me in the past and I'll say this if Miles Brennan doesn't win the quarterback battle, that's a good thing because that means somebody had to beat him out. So I think LSU's quarterback questions are not concerns. They're simply questions, meaning we don't know who's going to start. I figure it's going to be Miles Brennan, though. So I think LSU, if you're a person who thinks LSU is going to barely make a bowl game in Brian Kelly's first year, they're going to do better than that. 
But if you're a person thinking LSU's back to near six right away, I don't think they're there that they're just yet simply because of that November schedule. And as you know, when you start to get into the heat of conference play and you play and you're playing back to back to back difficult games, I don't care what kind of roster you have, it's gonna it's gonna add up on you. And I don't think LSU has the depth right now to compete with or to win ten games to the SEC West. As we remember uh, talking about Desmond Ritter, we talked about him recently when we talked about the draft evaluations. They have officially, they being the Atlanta Falcons, have decided to take Marcus Mariota as the starter and put Desmond on the back burner. I am not shocked. Are you? No. No, I don't. I don't think. I don't think Desmond is. I think he's got some pretty good ceiling. I think he's got a pretty good ceiling. The problem is. He also meets his floor quite often, meaning he's inconsistent. And you just cannot be, in, I don't need to say it, but you, you can't be inconsistent. You can't be inconsistent in college that much. You certainly can't be inconsistent at the NFL. He, I mean, the, the past quarterback class was really not the best. <laughs> it right. really wasn't great. But he, he's got he's got the prototype. He's got the body. He's got the height. He's got the skill set. He's just up and down and is... I think he could be just a little bit more consistent, uh, not just physically, but also mentally in terms of the decisions he makes down the field. But if, if he gets that taken care of, which it's it's easier said than done, but if he just works on his consistency, I think he'll, he'll I don't know if he'll start, but I think he'll get significant playing time for someone down, down the line. Uh, let's go with the ACC. I know a lot of the talk is going to be about will Clemson be back this year. It's because we're, we're putting them in that dynasty talk. Maybe they had a run for a few years. And if you want to call that a dynasty, I understand. It seems like everybody has their own definition of dynasty today. So I get it. We're comparing them or we're putting them into the category of dynasty because we're seeing what Alabama's done. And what Alabama's done the last 10, 12 years, that's not imperative to what everybody else really does. That 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 cannot be compared. I mean, Bama, what they've done the last 12 years, that's unlike something we've ever seen in the history of modern college football and only a couple of times in the history of college football. Oklahoma did it through the late 40s and then throughout the 50s and early 60s. USC did it through the late 60s and into the early 80s. It's only been really done a couple of times in terms of dynasties like that. I don't really think so. I think that was more of they had a really good run of a couple of quarterbacks with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence who were some of the best commits in Clemson football history. They just happened to be back-to-back. Clemson, by most people's standards, had a bad season last year. They won 10 games, and that was with a really bad offense. And there's one way of looking at it in that the three losses, they lost by a pick six to the eventual national champion. They lost which in what was a really competitive game against Pittsburgh, who was the eventual, eventual ACC champion. And then they lost in overtime at North Carolina State. And then there's another way of looking at it where, okay, and they still barely won some games because of their offense and can their offense improve? Well, their offense doesn't have to improve much given the conference they play in first and foremost. And second of all, and really you could probably put this first, is because of how good their defense is. And their defensive line is the best in college football there's no other defensive line that really is even is even close to theirs. Their linebackers, they lose their top two tacklers from last year, 
but they get back a guy that played significant snaps last year and is much more athletic than any of the guys they had last year. Plus, they bring in another guy who has had arguably the best spring of anybody on their defense. The secondary is the question, but in today's college football, really all time, if you have a really good defensive front seven, ask Georgia fans. If you have a really good defensive front seven, you can ask Bama fans as well. It usually goes a long ways in the defensive efficiency. You might give up a few big passing plays. You might give up 310 yards passing, but you're coming after the quarterback. You're forcing six sacks. You're forcing turnovers. You're getting tackles for loss. You're forcing three and outs. And so on the efficiency side, in terms of the havoc, your defense can go a long ways. And that's what Clemson's defense is going to look like this year. I'm not saying their secondary is going to be bad. It's just the question. And if you're an opposing offense, you're going to attack the other team's question. You're not going to attack their strength. Will they be back? Well, I would assume at least double-digit wins. I just don't know if they're going to get back to the playoff. Now, if you're looking for a dark horse team from that conference, I would go with two teams. Miami from the Coastal Division, the last year of the Coastal Division, the last year of each division before they go into just one conference like the Pac-12. Miami has probably a top three of one of the three easiest schedules in the power five so they definitely should break through uh they play a&m early on in the season the non-conference if they win that game watch out but if they lose they're still a team to watch out for and they'll probably get to the acc championship game over pittsburgh this year they do get pittsburgh at home remember miami beat pittsburgh last season on the road Uh, and pittsburgh loses a lot more than miami does north carolina state would be the other team to watch for in this conference Uh, they're going for blood this year they have a lot going for them, return a lot of guys. I should say the Wolfpack are going for blood this year. Uh, North Carolina State has a lot of guys coming back this year. A lot of those fifth and sixth year guys. Quarterback's really good. Devin Leary, I think he's going to be one of, if not the biggest breakthrough quarterback this season. And the other one I'm, I'm going to be talking about here just in a few minutes is another team from up north. Um, and uh, yeah, North Carolina State, they have one of the more manageable schedules along with Miami in the, in the country. Go figure, they're both from the ACC. It says something about that conference. Um, North Carolina State should win double-digit games this year for only the second time in school history. So NC State is definitely a team to watch for. I'll preview the Big 12 in less than a minute. All I'll right. say this. It is the most wide-open conference in the country. Power 5, Group of 5, Independence, they're not a conference, but if you want to include Independence with Notre Dame and Army, whatever you want to talk about, BYU, The Big 12 is the most wide open uh, conference in the country. Uh, I have zero idea who was winning that conference, but I will say this, Baylor and Oklahoma State, they're taking steps back. Here's the thing, almost everybody else is as well. If Oklahoma was was returning anybody from, from like Lincoln Riley's tenure, they would be the runaway favorite, no doubt, because they have the most manageable schedule in the Big 12, which might mean something by the end of the season, given how even the teams are. So if there was one team I could, not that I would bet on it, but there's one team that I that I feel confident in predicting to make the Big 12 championship, it's Oklahoma. After that, I think Texas is the team to watch for because of their talent and given how much everybody else loses. Not Texas doesn't lose a whole lot. They just have a lot of... Uh, new coaches and new roles this year and a couple of intriguing players who do have experience they're just going to be playing uh, on a different team if you ask me that doesn't weigh as heavily as say a team that's losing everybody and is going to have a lot of young players so 
Texas is the team to watch for. They get West Virginia, Baylor, and Iowa State all at home. K-State's a dark horse team to watch for this year. They're just very inconsistent. And they're still a team that just won seven games last year, including the bowl game over an LSU team who didn't even have a third of their roster there. So, and, and a wide receiver playing quarterback, much less. So the Big 12 is wide open. I will say this though, I don't think anybody in the Big 12 is winning more than 10 games, which means I don't think anybody from the Big 12 is making the playoff this year. Because I think Oklahoma might lose at Nebraska early on, and then I don't see them winning the rest of their games. Oklahoma, I think, is the most confident pick of mine to make the Big 12 championship simply because of how their schedule works in the Big 12. They get the majority of the better teams at home and the weaker teams on the road. Most other teams are vice versa. But Baylor, they're going to they're gonna disappoint this year. You're going to have some people project them as a top 10, maybe top 15 team. They're not going to, they're not finishing top 10. I'll tell you that right now, book it. They're not finishing top 15, book that as well. They might finish top 25 just because of how even the Big 12 is and they might win a few games, a few close games here and there. But their schedule is just way too difficult this year and they lose way too much. They lose almost everybody in the skill position. And as you know today, it helps to have skill position. <laughs> yes, it does. Absolutely. The line of scrimmage is really good, but they just got way too many questions in the skill position. So the last conference I'm going to be, I'm going to be previewing is the Big Ten. Um, I'm going to take 10 seconds to preview the Big Ten East Division. Ohio State's winning that division. Nobody's beating them in the regular season. They're getting to the Big Ten Championship, which they will win, and they'll get back to the playoff, and they'll get back to the national championship game probably against Alabama. That's that division. Nobody's beating Ohio State in that division this year. Uh, well, I'll take a little bit more time to preview that division, simply saying Michigan State will not win 10 regular season games. Penn State will not be a great team, but they still might win eight games because of the, how their schedule works. And then Michigan State, they won't win. I think I already said them. They, they won't win 10 games. Michigan, I know most people expect them to take a step back. They might take a step back, but their record, their record probably won't. They won 11 games last. Well, they won 11 regular season games last year. They should win 11 regular season games again. They're just not going to beat Ohio State. They might slip up maybe once, although I don't know who that would be too. It's kind of like Georgia. They might slip up once. I just don't know who it's going to be too. 10 and 2, 11 and 1 for Michigan. They're not going to really take a big step back like most are expecting. Their schedule is one of the easiest in the country. Helps to have a really good non-conference with them, and they do. Now, the Big Ten West division is really the, really the division to preview. There are seven teams in that division, and five of them have a chance to win it. And if you were to pick a couple of teams from that division to win it, two of those five teams to potentially win it, probably the last two teams that you would talk about of those five would be Purdue and Nebraska. And I think those two teams have the best chance of winning that division this year. Nebraska's schedule, I'm going to tell you this right now. Go ahead and book this. Nebraska is going to start off the season as one of the more talked about teams. They're going to start off at least 5-1, and one, if not 6-0, and oh, if they beat Oklahoma. Um, their schedule is very beneficial. They're going to get to a bowl game for the first time under Scott Frost. And I think they have a chance to beat both Minnesota and Wisconsin at home this year, at least one of those. Wisconsin, their strength last year was their defense. They lose eight starters. Their top three receivers are gone. And the one position outside of running back, which is very good, Braylon Allen's very good. Outside of that, the only court, the only position they return really intact in is position, not really in, individual, is their quarterback, Graham Mertz, who was uh, a hazard last year for Wisconsin. He threw the ball more to the other team than his own team. 
I'm not high on Wisconsin this year. If you're looking for a team to surprise outside of Nebraska, go with Purdue. The Boilermakers are going to be Purdue in it this year. In fact, one of my hot takes this year, a little bit of preview of my Instagram, is Purdue is going to get to the Big Ten Championship. I think they will be one of your bigger surprise teams in the country for this year, like coming out of nowhere kind of team. Watch them beat Penn State in the opener. It's a home game on a Thursday night, one of the biggest home openers in school history. And if my other quarterback that I, that I was talking about a few minutes ago that I was going to discuss, Purdue's uh, Aiden O'Connell. I think he's going to be a breakthrough player along with the Boilermakers. Watch out for Purdue this year. I think they're going to shock people. Connor, why do you think Purdue is going to Purdue it? <laughs> I think the Boilermakers are going to be Purdueing things that not many people have seen thus far, at least the younger generations have seen in the lifetime of watching college football. Uh, Purdue, I think, is bound to have their best season in basically 20 years. I'm not one person to to look at one guy and say, he's the reason why I think this team could be really good this year. I mean, it helps to have a really good quarterback, and if I'm not mistaken, that's a position of of importance in in football, regardless (laughs) of the level. Yes, but, I, I think that's slightly, just yeah. maybe, one of the more important <laughs> Just, Just maybe, yeah. And Aiden oh. O'Connell is by far the best quarterback in Purdue's division in the Big Ten, the Big Ten West. 14 Power 5 teams last season who finished in the bottom 31, or 30, no, 31 in the country in total passing offense. So there's 130 teams in the FBS last year meaning 31 slots available to finish in the triple digits in a statistic. And five of the seven teams in the Big Ten West Division managed to finish in the triple digits in total passing offense. And that was five of the 14 Power 5 teams in the country who managed to do that. So five of the seven teams in that division alone. And here's Purdue, Aiden O'Connell leading Purdue to a top five passing offense in college football. Meanwhile, the rest of the division is struggling mightily. And Purdue obviously returns Aiden O'Connell. However, I think most of the talk with Purdue, if there's any discussion about them, is going to be about how they lost their two best players from last year's team. That's that popular quality over quantity talk, meaning most preview magazines, most people, most analysts are going to look at the individual kind of like with an Aiden O'Connell. They're going to look at the individual overall. So that's the quality of one player rather than a quantity, meaning a group of players that might make up for a pretty good unit overall. And that's Purdue this year. They're more quantity over quality, meaning they have more of a unit that returns intact more so than the stardom of the individual outside of Aiden O'Connell. So last year, Purdue ended the season playing very well beat Iowa who was ranked number two they beat him on the road decisively it should also be noted that Iowa won the West Division last year despite losing that game so how does that happen conference schedules are a crossover slate within your conference schedule and for the Big Ten for the Big Ten West what what that means is if you if you avoid Michigan Michigan State Ohio State from the East Division you're bound to break through given how even those teams are, meaning it's going to be schedule that sets them apart. Kind of like what I discussed with the ACC and the Big 12. It's the schedule that really sets them apart given how even the teams are. And 
Should also be noted, Purdue's beat Iowa for the last five years. They get them at home this year after a bye week. And Purdue, again, they won, They ended the season playing very well last year. They beat Iowa. They beat Michigan State, who was ranked number two in undefeated at the time. And they beat Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. Without those quality players that we just, that I discussed about earlier, David Bell and George Karloftis, and they beat Tennessee pretty much at Tennessee in Nashville, the Music City Bowl. And remember, Tennessee was playing very well at the end of last season. They had beaten Kentucky, and they gave Alabama a really good game through three quarters. So Purdue this coming season is a better team than most people are going to realize. Book it. They will hit the over. I'll tell you this right now. Two of the last three Big Ten West teams to finish a regular season with double-digit wins avoided Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State in the crossover slate. There's only one team who avoids those three teams this season. That's Purdue. I think they're bound to break through, a given, also given what they return, their schedule. And it should also be noted a little bit of a, another nugget here for you. The other two, two of the last three teams to have that schedule, avoid those three teams in the Big Ten East and win 10 regular season games, also played Penn State at home from the East Division. That was one of their crossover teams. And guess who plays Penn State at home this year? Purdue does. In the uh, regular season opener for both teams, they play them on a Thursday night, a weeknight game. Very good chance of an upset for Purdue to win that very good opportunity for Purdue in that game. And I will tell you this right now, given how manageable their schedule is and nobody's looking at them, if Purdue wins that opener, everybody is going to be talking about Purdue. Kind of talking in hindsight, as most people do. But if Purdue wins that game, they're only a field goal underdog. If Purdue wins that game, again, it's at Purdue. It's a weeknight game. A lot of upsets occur on weeknight games, especially when the spread's decently close, and it is for this game. Penn State loses a lot from last year's team. Purdue returns a lot. Yeah, they don't return their one or two star players, but they return everybody else, and including their star, star starting quarterback and Aiden O'Connell. And it's going to be one of those things. If Purdue wins that game, and I think they will, given how they match up, if Purdue wins that game, they will have everybody's attention and everyone's going to start pointing at Purdue and saying, look how look how manageable that schedule is. They just beat the most difficult team on their schedule. And I also got news for you on this. Regardless if they beat or lose to Penn State, they'll have a really good chance of getting to Indianapolis. They play Nebraska and Iowa at home. Their two most difficult road games are Minnesota and Wisconsin, who are very beatable this year. Do not be shocked if Purdue, by the end of the season, finishes first in the West Division with nine or potentially 10 regular season wins and get to the Big Ten Championship and play for the Big Ten Championship against Ohio State. Now, they won't win that game, but it would be a really good story if Purdue got to Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship game, and I would not be shocked to see them do so. I think the Boilermakers, kind of how like you opened up this episode, I think the Boilermakers are going to be Purdueing it this year. <laughs>